The Wandering World Written by Ian Morganheim and Brian Woodruff Narrated by Shreya Sukumar What you're about to hear is a story. But first, a quick story about a story. The Wandering World is about distance. On one side, an empire populated by digitized human minds, and light years away, a single planet. Not quite human, but a lot easier to recognize. One with a secret that's made the whole galaxy take notice. And just as our hero's mission takes him deep into the unknown, the work that's gone into this collaboration has spanned six years, thousands of miles, and one book, so far. A lot of moving parts behind the scenes. It's been really great to help make this happen, and we hope you like what you hear. The time between was always difficult. The past and present blended together, forcing Arbiter Ceres to confront the sheer unlikelihood of his life. Born into an age where mankind had long since mastered the stars, he saw firsthand the rise of new wonders, above them all, the means to make death itself obsolete. The first pioneers to leave their bodies behind became the Immortal Council, and the infinite empire they ruled became known as the Continuous Realms. Limited only by the imagination of a growing society of digital souls, Citizens of the realms dedicated themselves to solving mysteries mere human minds could never grasp. Yet few were content to dream forever. Unburdened by the petty demands of flesh, disembodied explorers uploaded themselves into vast starships, expanding the realms into uncharted space. New worlds became the seat of ever-faster supercomputers, allowing virtual centuries to pass in mere hours. The pace of technological advancement accelerated, and the borders of the realms extended even further. Over the millennia, only two things stood between the Council and complete domination of the galaxy, other spacefaring races, and the stubborn remnants of humanity that refused to accept the gift of immortality. That's where Ceres came in. Tell me something. Do you think Audrin would have laughed at all this? At the realm's fraying at the edges? At the council's expectation that true law could ever really outlive the crusade? He waited. I'm well aware she retired years ago. That's what makes hypotheticals fun. Come on, I know for a fact you live for questions like this. A symphony of crickets wouldn't have been uncalled for, or perhaps a tumbleweed rounding the corner and making its way across the cold blue floor. He imagined a chirping chorus marching along, accompanied by the gentle brush of dried branches, the strains of an impossible orchestra echoing slightly as it processed out of the emergence chamber. None of that actually happened. Auxiliary Ceres was speaking to himself, figuratively and literally, with his primary on the other end, ensuring that the transfer was complete 
and uncontaminated. For most people think this kind of dialogue would be unusual at best, but for Ceres, both versions of him, it was well within his understanding of normal. The version of himself that manifested here was not surprised that the hyperfeed remained quiet. We're good, aren't we? The auxiliary Ceres sighed, wondering if his primary had somehow taken offense at his need for reassurance. While it was not surprised that he felt, it was certainly a species of disappointment. There aren't many occasions when you can find out what you really think of yourself. But the council didn't care much for that kind of conversation, and time was running out. What I'm trying to say is that the margin for error here is razor thin. You could at least have wished me good luck, Auxiliary Sarah said with a smirk. The crusade ship, having received its orders the moment Auxiliary Ceres had been born, had already set a course and was en route to the destination now. Its ferromorphic hull had seamlessly exchanged the insignia of the continuous realms, which carried its share of political baggage, for the red and gold ensign of Kilgore, Ceres's home sector, and one with neutral standing toward the parties in question. The time-critical nature of this mission meant Ceres had been sanctioned to use the deep string to sidestep years of travel that conventional craft would require. This came at considerable expense to the Council, but ensured an audience in mere hours with the opposition's arbiter, a renegade whose reckless defiance, if the rumors were true, could threaten civilization itself. It was in the best interest of the realm to resolve the issue quickly, and with as little wasted energy beyond this specific allowance as possible. Although the specifics varied with each report, the Council was sure something was about to happen, and nothing had served the realms better over the millennia than vigilance. Back on Earth, Ceres Prime had probably been excused from the Deep String Transfer Center. He was probably on his way home, trying to avoid doing too many things to keep his mind clear for clean reintegration later on. When the assignment was completed to the satisfaction of the Council, they would only need to clip the deep string on the auxiliary's end. Then, his consciousness would be carried back across the curvature of space, flowing within the span. Then, it would be subsumed into the dominant primary, along with all memories of its journey, and the fewer experiences the primary had in the meantime, the less of a hassle it would be to sort out and integrate the auxiliary's memories. But the deep string required payment. A payment in energy, in entropy. It was simple. In exchange for exceeding the speed of light, some distant corner of the universe needed to die. Every civilization had different ways of settling the tab. Goran cruisers bled off waste energy in dense dark matter clouds, but this had severely depleted the clouds of their home sector, making all but the most important voyages one way. The vanguard war drones of the Drothi turned faster-than-light equalization into a weapon, destroying a gas giant to send gravitational shockwaves and shattered moons through their enemy's solar systems. And the generation ships of the Laufrey were designed with such brutal redundancy that 90% of the craft's mass, crew included, could be subsumed into energy with negligible impact on spaceworthiness, or the colonists' genetic diversity. 
but each of these designs was limited by the need to keep living beings aboard. Only the continuous realms and other energy-based allies could use the span to its fullest potential. With the sanction of the Council, cooperation from the bank, and a ship with a deep-string transceiver and matter synth on the other end, an agent of the realms could travel further and faster than anyone in the galaxy. The continuous bank had plotted the equalizing event for this strip somewhere near the edge of the eastern arm, right where the span touched the shatter. It was uninhabited by any starfaring race, unsuited for sublight travel, in short, astronomically insignificant. It was difficult, despite the realm's supercomputing capacity, to accurately predict how much the universe would ask in exchange for doing the impossible. You can't really negotiate with the universe. Yes, it is complicated. And yes, it is strange. Yet, the leader of the continuous realms of humanity had authorized alterations to the fabric of the span. And here Ceres was, halfway across the galaxy, facilitating dialogue between those who demanded true justice and those who insisted on rejecting it. Moments before this new Ceres woke up, a perfect copy of his primary's consciousness emerged from the span to be compiled and mapped onto a mass of polyform gel. His synthetic avatar took shape and, for all intents and purposes, became the same person as Ceres in Earth's data stream. Of course, there were compromises. Ceres's polyform body wasn't exactly alive. But who in the realms truly was? Ceres awoke, fully entangled with his primary. This ensured that if something were to happen, his auxiliary would be pulled back across the span, and like a neuron firing from one edge of a grand brain to a single point far and away, far and away, with experiences and information intact, back to the original mind. The alternative was multiplicity. Although some civilizations had no qualms about permanently duplicating a human consciousness, the continuous realms believed that however far afield a copy might go, each so-called anabranch must return in time or risk violating the sanctity of the self. But in the meantime, this new Ceres was lying to the universe, and it didn't take kindly to those who messed around with its established regulations and realities, especially those who brazenly thumbed their noses at the speed of light. Universal relativistic forces, the silent wardens of the space between stars and atoms alike, would be after him regardless of the bank's efforts to pay the debt using another reference point. But they would leave him alone if his sins against causality were resolved quickly. Otherwise, what does it look like when the universe tries to balance the equation itself? Present-day citizens of the continuous realms needed only look to the eastern arm of the galaxy to see what could happen to those who exploited phenomena they barely understood. Ceres had to be fast, or his rejection of universal law would be purged which meant him, of course, along with anything or anyone in the vicinity during the correction. Luckily, that sort of thing didn't happen often. There would be signs as the bill came due, 
but not much time to rectify the situation before... Well, that's why the bank was founded, after all, to account for humanity messing around with forces that they had some but not complete control over. If an unmediated equalization event destroyed Auxiliary Ceres, the consequences for his primary would be grave. Being removed from reality, according to those who had seen it firsthand, people tend to scream. So there you have it. Ceres had to resolve the conflict quickly or risk the wrath of the universe. There were less egocentric reasons for him to succeed, of course. No one wanted to suffer the ravages of a second perpetuum, or to worry about the consequences of forbidden breakthroughs in faster-than-light technology. No one truly knew what the Umberites were up to, but that seemed like a reasonable guess. If the secrets of the span couldn't be controlled, diplomats like Ceres could at least try to keep fingers, talons, and pseudopods off the big red button. Ceres had considered plenty of this in his lifetime. He massaged his recently formed throat and stretched out his muscles before settling into the captain's chair. We have arrived, Ceres. The onboard intelligence responsible for the last leg of his voyage had been given a deep, assertive voice, a relic of a bygone age, presumably meant to inspire auxiliaries as he prepared to address newly annexed worlds. Perhaps things were better now, Ceres thought, as his objective came into range. Umber. The Sunless World. It wasn't the only one of its kind, as far as the continuous realms understood it. Indeed, many travelers had chosen to explore the uncharted frontiers of the universe from the surface of free-floating worlds like Umber. Some of these so-called rogue planets had long ago lost their host star, while others were deliberately untethered by intrepid adventurers seeking the freedom that only the space beyond the span could offer. Yet unlike many of the civilizations near the span that had openly defied the will of the Council, Umber had kept the exact nature of its sedition secret, and continuous laws applied only to objective reality, not rumor and innuendo. Ceres needed to discover the truth. After some silent negotiations between his ship and Umber's orbital network concluded, a direct line opened to his host, Derridan Maxwell, Master of Umber. Welcome to our world, Arbiter Saris. We appreciate that you have taken the time to join us, and that the true justice recognizes the importance of dialogue between our two worlds. I welcome you to follow our escort wing to the landing area in the capital. It should join you shortly. I am humbled to be here, host and master. I am sure that your home will be a welcome change from the political theater of the continuous realms. I hope we can find a quick and mutually beneficial resolution to our dispute. Likewise. Yet, we shall also see. May I ask you a favor before you complete the landing protocols? Please. I am familiar with the Crusade Starship class, Arbiterceras, and would ask that you power down the ship's core prior to entering our gravitational field. It is, as you might understand, in both our interests that there be trust built prior to your arrival. 
We have no reason to believe your word, nor have we any reason to acknowledge the authority of the continuous realms, if there isn't some transparency on your side. Not many still understood the principles underlying the millennia-old crusade, and Ceres wondered if this might signal further surprises down the road. Nevertheless, he was quite prepared to change his tactics. He wouldn't have been much of a negotiator otherwise. Of course, host and master, this will be done. While he waited for the escort to arrive, Ceres made a tour of the old crusade ship. It had long ago traveled the length that he had cheated, towing behind it the span, the synthetic quantum web that lesser civilizations call the corruption of space-time, but all acknowledged as one of the galaxy's great wonders. It was but one of countless more that had spread across the galaxy, as fast as conventional engines allowed. It was their destiny to travel on their paths forever and ever. But when the Perpetuum finally ended, all such ships were stopped in place, to be used only to facilitate border negotiations, but never again to emit the energy to spread the span further. The ship had spent its adolescence here, nestled in a Lagrange point around a distant foreign star. It would be easy to believe that a hundred thousand years had lapped at its heels, and yet it waited at the edge of the continuous realms. If you had a sense of compromises a self-aware ship needed to make over the millennia to maintain itself, you would have likely said that it looked its age. Ceres had barely been three centuries old when the last fleet of crusade ships were sent off on their journeys in a time before the twilight of the Perpetuum. Before the survivors witnessed the signing and establishment of true law, the abolition of span expansion, and the Council's 500-year moratorium on deep-string development and use. Oh yes, if only you had been there, friends, and witnessed the collapse, the annihilation of the eastern arm of the Way galaxy, what only the most hidebound historians call the Milky Way you would understand why the price for using the technology was so high. You would understand why it inspired such fear, and why such sacrifices were made to control it. The screams of those in the shatter, that vast, impossible grave, would, if they could, travel the space between stars. The span hadn't always been so tightly controlled, of course. Most of Ceres's family had been in deep-string transit when that happened, seeking passage to the eastern frontier where the realms had yet to make its presence known, a place without war, a place free from their terrible ambition and their true justice. They are remembered only as victims of the Shatter now. And in the uncounted centuries since, he had forgotten the look of their faces and the sound of their voices but not the pain of their loss. He had been lucky, in contrast, to have been drafted to serve in a metamind with other experts that the Council believed could derive a universal diplomatic calculus. Now, so long after the end of the Perpetuum, that system still remained out of reach. By any reasonable standard, the crusade ship had long since exceeded its allotted lifespan. 
that it still functioned at all was a testament to the onboard intelligence's talent for self-preservation, which it had honed to a razor's edge over the centuries. If raw elements could talk, Ceres might have had some very enlightening conversations with the ship's hull. But it remained silent, and the ship volunteered little about its past. Yet a being is more than a sum of its parts, and through years of need and plenty, the onboard intelligence had matured, if not decayed, into something altogether different. Its subtly distorted vocal circuits only told the fraction of the tale, of the compromises it had made for even the slightest chance to serve the realms again. With Ceres's arrival, the ship had finally been granted purpose, a destiny only the true justice could provide. There was much to be done. Ship! Ceres began, mindful that even an outdated craft had secrets the realms would rather not share. I would like you to recognize authorization code, Ceres Alpha 7, and respond with utmost discretion to standard inspection protocols. No information about the realms, the council, or my orders are to be divulged to Umberite authorities without explicit indication that they are already aware of them. Confirm. Confirmed, Ceres. Good. Now, give me some uplift so I can be at my best. It didn't respond. Instead, a soft mist followed from the ports on the sides of the hallway. The moment they touched his biomimetic skin, he felt invigorated in mind and body. And it was good timing. Arbiter Ceres? The voice seemed to come from the transmission center of his neural implant. Even though the ship's matter synth hadn't been activated in centuries, this frame's resemblance to his actual body was truly uncanny. We are here to guide you to the capital. My name is Ulrich, and my co-pilot is Tem. We are pleased to serve as your security detail, and hope that you find your stay with us a comfortable one. I have been assured you are prepared to power down when indicated. Shall we go? Ceres returned the message with a mere thought. Yes, thank you, Ulrich and Tem. Let's get going. The escort craft nearly as big as the crusade ship, darted towards the gravity well of the rogue planet. It was barren, for the most part, but that information had been available in the preliminary report. Enormous domes dotted the landscape now and again. One of them could easily have been the size of Australia back on old Earth, another the size of Europe, but they were relatively small, and that's how the realms measured things. So far... Umber was nothing Ceres hadn't seen before. In terms of landmass, population, and military might, they were a pebble in the sky when compared to the realms, and even to the autarchy that Umber was reportedly scheduled to meet, like Earth would appear next to the red supergiant Betelgeuse. As the escort wing passed beyond the boundaries of Umber's amplified magnetosphere, Arbiter Ceres shut off the crusade ship's power core. His vac-suit generator came to life, forming a soft shell around his flesh, encasing him in a preservative field that could sustain him in environments that even near-immortal inhabitants of the realms had cause to fear. It was a standard feature for arbiters and those living outside green zones. The technology was old, but effective. Don't forget your orders, sir. 
the ship sent a final slurred reminder before falling into hibernation. As the vac suit finished forming, Sarah steadied himself as the lead escort's guide belt clamped onto the ship's hull. Sarah was quick to switch his perceptual feed to explore the view and data from the ship's perspective. Even with the core deactivated, the passive sensors would continue to supply telemetry for hours. It was all wrong, of course, but he didn't know it then. He sighed a little, put at ease by a profoundly unremarkable scan. It should have bothered him. It was a hint, wasn't it? Everything looked normal. Welcome to our world. Host and Master Derridan Maxwell reached out and shook Ceres's hands, one after the other. I am so pleased to see that we have such a high-ranking agent of the Council joining us for this. He leaned in. Frankly absurd impediment to our rights as an independent state. I'm sure we'll be able to resolve all of this quickly enough. Yes, yes. Good saying, my friend, good saying. The host and master was gregarious and warm, as opposed to the antagonistic prick that he had been made out to be by the realm's media. Where shall we start? Ceres asked with a smile, knowing that Derridan had already felt enough direct pressure from the council. I think we should start with the taste of the culture here. I'll be handing you off to Tem, who will take you to our garden and then to the capital near the edge of the agricultural sector. He will want to record your conversation for review later, of course. Of course. Then, let's say around the midday feast, we'll meet with the delegates who will be addressing the autarchy. The host and master went to leave when Ceres added, When do you expect Umber to enter orbit? He stopped. Days, perhaps a week at most. Our gravitists have had some difficulty bending the warp of our shell to match the unique quality of the system's background energies. Yes, about that. The realms are very interested in how... All to be explored and perhaps even explained at a different time, Arbiter Ceres. Now, if you'll please excuse me, I have much to prepare for. He left quickly, leaving Ceres with Tem a small man with big, round, and eerily black eyes and a bald, shaved scalp. His teeth were golden, his skin a light, transparent chrome set on a pinkish base. Ceres made a sharp contrast, matching a rich, dark tone with bright, chilling blue eyes, and stood at least a foot taller than his new companion. Fine to meet you, Arbiter. Likewise. Tem clapped his hands together. Well, let's get going, shall we? Lots to see, lots to do, and people to meet. My, oh my, many people to meet indeed. Reliable intelligence on Umber is tough to come by in the realms. How much can you really discuss with me? As long as it doesn't violate our sovereign right to privacy, I can pretty much tell you about anything. Father really wants you to be comfortable for the people of the continuous realms to understand that while we're open to negotiation, we aren't going to be bullied. Derridan is your father? Apologies. I thought you were aware of that, yes. Uh, our governing caste is drawn from the Maxwell Gene Group. It ensures that we can properly serve the people without bias or dissent. 
Interesting. Rather like old earth prior to the abolition of hereditary rule. The man's black eyes widened, and Ceres thought he saw a translucent membrane slide across them. Old earth? He clapped again, this time with noticeable excitement. Do you really have experience with people from the home world? I was born there. His grin swallowed itself into a grimace. Certainly not. That would make you... He counted, stopped, stared off into the distance, and came back with... Old. Very, very old. Impossibly old. Unpleasantly old, perhaps. I'll be happy to provide you with details. I guarantee you that I am what I say I am. Tem shook his head. Let's forget that, for now at least. Come, come, we must get into the vein and travel to the capital. You'll get a chance to see some of the cleverness of the Umberite people. We have done some wonderful things with superconducting lattices, to say nothing of the exotic materials retrieved from the sp... He paused to correct himself. From experiments to safely insulate umber from the interstellar medium. The two walked through into a carrier car on a track and sat down. Since Ceres arrived, aside from the host and Tem, there had been no sign that any other humans lived on the planet at all. Even here, at a transit station, they were alone. Tem, tell me, why are you here? The Umberite's expression twitched. Indeed, that's a good question. Why are we here? What is our purpose? Can we even be sure there is such a thing? I mean, yes, yes, I know what you meant. We have been traveling a long time, Arbiter, not as immortal individuals, but as a united people. A very, very long time. We have seen such things that would haunt your mind, waking or asleep, until the day you choose to end it all. We have found ourselves face to face with phenomena and possibilities that would make the true justice himself take leave of his senses and beg to forget. Yet, out there, in the Great Divide, where so few are prepared to travel, we have come to the conclusion that perhaps together is better than alone. Tem's voice fell to a whisper. Without ears, it listens. Without a heart, it feels. What does? The universe, reality, whatever you choose to call it. The car accelerated silently. Out they went from the windowless station onto the surface of umber. The cold, colorless terrain was almost smooth, except for some rolling valleys and hills in the distance. Far off, beyond the shimmer of the gravity field, the autarchy's brilliant blue star was faintly visible. Soon, the representatives would arrive, and the Umberites' presentation would begin. For now, there was something unattainably beautiful about the blue light twinkling just out of reach. It grew with each passing moment. Loneliness doesn't really seem like the appropriate emotion to incite a war with the continuous realms, my young friend. We don't want war, Arbiter. But, and I mean this by no way as a threat, rather as a cautionary statement that requires your attention. 
if there were to be a war as a result of our overtures toward the autarchy, you should know that we will win it. They rode on for a time, occupied by timeless and banal art of small talk until, finally, the car crested a hill and began to coast into an artificial crater, enclosed by an iridescent dome that shook as it sealed behind them. Gods be good, Ceres gasped, nearly pressing his face to the window. What beauty is this? Spurred on by the fading intelligence as its core, the crusade ship reserve energy flowed into the matter-synth chamber. It wasn't a strong enough surge that most security systems would take notice, or that was the hope, at least. From within the polyform gel, something like a human formed. Umber had just passed into the span. The energy field created long before its idealistic founders set a course into the abyss. This had, in turn, triggered the next phase in the Council's plan. In moments, the nemesis would be complete, and it would start about its task. I'm still absolutely dumbfounded by what you've done here, Tem. Ceres was gushing and it was genuine. He kept looking out the window as the car made the circuit around the capital. The crater was green and bright and beautiful. We extrapolated the information from our own genetic code. Ceres nodded, obviously confused. We reverse-engineered our genome as far back as we could, interpolating data where we had to, watching it branch out trimming things here and there, and using new data to move even further back. At first, we only tampered with samples from our archives, but eventually we had a breakthrough and took leaps into prehistory, to a time when the Tree of Life was much more extensive, to a time when so many wonderful and impossible things emerged from the crucible of ancient earth. This is the fruit of that labor of love, Arbiter Ceres, our secret and our gift. Out there, just beyond the morning fog, was a forest unlike any the universe had known for a quarter million years. It was lush, vibrant, idyllic, nearly impossible to imagine in an era where most of humanity no longer qualified as human in form or function. To Ceres, this seemed wondrous, and yet to others, he knew it would seem wasteful. What need did the universe or the realms have for these things? One by one, the greatest minds in the galaxy had pushed humanity far beyond the petty limitations of organic existence. Yet, in the history of the realms, none of them had dared imagine anything like this. I think... Ceres hesitated for an agonizing moment. I think you may have a case. We know we have a case, Arbiter Ceres, and we expect our petition to join the autarchy. Even as it technically lies within your territory, we'll proceed without incident. But by virtue that you also see it this way, perhaps there will be peace in our time after all. We do not want to rekindle the perpetual, do we? Still entranced, Ceres could only nod in agreement. The car slowed as it turned into a spiral that ran into a grass-lined tunnel near one side of the forest. 
It was disappointing that the view was gone, but there would, Ceres hoped, be more time to explore the wonders the Umberites had created. Now that we'll be heading into the capital, this is going to come as a bit of a shock. So, if you would kindly refrain from asking the obvious questions about our technology until later, that would be ideal. Is that acceptable to you? I suppose. There will be an opportunity to see more of that wonderful place, won't there? Sarah shifted back and forth in anticipation. I never thought I'd see another tree. Not a real one like that, anyway. There might be time, but that is only a small portion of what we've done. Arbiter, come stand here. Tem urged him to the other side of the car, and moments later they exited from the tunnel. Gods be good indeed. The nemesis had doubled itself in the last ten minutes, which brought its number to sixteen, each one going about in perfect unison, removing panels from the walls, floors, ceilings, and everywhere else they could, and refitting them into something else. Umber, Ceres now understood, was not so difficult to move after all. The core of the planet had been hollowed out, leaving the crust as a shell for what stood within. And what a marvel it was. Umber's entire inner surface was green, with patches of blues and other natural colors. Sitting at its core, a half-bright, half-dark sphere was rotating on an enormous axle that ran from the top to the bottom. In the shadowy areas at the poles, domed cities crawled up towards the pivoting beam. It was no wonder that the Umberites insisted he deactivate his core, considering the incredible gravitational engineering required to support single-G settlements on both sides of the crust. Even from here, Ceres could see the colossal walls that separated areas of different colors and consistencies from one another. Great jungles, towering dunes, frozen tundras, words that had long since lost all but the vaguest literary significance were here, given life and form in a world that the true justice's star-spanning intellect could never have imagined. Ceres wept for a home that could only dream of secrets that killed. Paradise, Ceres sighed enveloped in the unreal warmth of an impossible star, confronted by such beauty that he felt himself fall to his knees. We have been at this for a very long time, Arbiter, but we feel it is time that we brought this back to our people. First the exiles, the travelers in dark places, those who refuse the urge to control, and some day... Once the wandering worlds of the Autarchy bring the borderlands into bloom, perhaps even the realms themselves. We will not keep secrets from you, but neither will we hasten to show the Council the way. Yet our doors will always be open to the peaceful. These creatures are natural, pure, uninhibited, save for the boundaries separating each ecosystem, they have reached back so far that they have revealed more about what and who we are than any of us ever suspected. We have come here to finally rejoin our brethren, but even this is not the greatest gift that we offer. But my father will tell of that. 
How? This is... I, I, I can't. We will arrive at the capital soon. There you will learn more. For now, enjoy the journey, Arbiter, and know that this is only a fraction of our achievements. The doubling had stopped at 196. The many-bodied nemesis was a singular mind that knew precisely what needed to be done, and worked tirelessly towards that end. Some humanoid forms had sacrificed their polyform flesh to become components of the great work, diminishing in number, but increasing in speed. They would be finished soon. Father, I have taken our guest on a tour of our home. Tem bowed and stepped back, ushering Ceres to a seat next to the host and master. Ceres sat, still shaken by what he had witnessed, but holding himself together. And what does the Arbiter have to say for himself? Host and Master Maxwell gave Ceres a warm hug, making him feel like he'd returned home. Quite the sight, isn't it? I am humbled by your home, Host and Master. Now that you have seen what we have to offer, please refer to me as Derridan. He smiled, golden teeth shining like the other delegates seated around the table. Derridan, Sarah said, letting his voice carry through the assembly chamber. It is my finding that the suspicions against you and your world are groundless. I am prepared to take word back to the continuous realms and the true justice to see that any further action is suspended and that your rights as an independent state are upheld. Applause and cheers carried through the chamber. That is great to hear. We are glad that... Derridan's head cocked to the right. His eyes darted back and forth. His jovial expression vanished and his black eyes turned white. What is the meaning of this? He shouted. The master grabbed Ceres by his collar and threw him onto the table, knocking plates and glasses to the floor. What right do you have to do this to us? Ceres, stunned in disbelief, said nothing. The master of Umber spoke with a soft fervor that, if anything, was more frightening than his unleashed fury. I am told that there are creatures building something out of that crusade ship of yours. What are they doing? Tell me now, and we may yet resolve this peacefully. The nemesis? But that had always been a weapon of last resort, Ceres thought, a sinking feeling in his stomach. I... I... You need to stop them from completing the structure. You have to destroy it. You can't let it be completed. If you don't, then... The deep string snapped, and in a flurry of pain and confusion, as memories of the betrayed parallel swung across the vast expanse of broken space, far and away, far and away. But the dying gasps of Umber left an indelible mark on the span's geometry. Days folded into decades, which turned into millennia, and then, at last, Auxiliary Ceres returned to its point of origin. This hero, the man who had extinguished the fires of rebellion before they could spread into the realms, was enjoying a cup of tea in his estate. Legions of admirers, followers, even, 
still made the pilgrimage well into the era of the evening empire, where the council and the true justice reigned no more. Those who tended to him, praised him, and adored him for who he was and what he did, simply believed his auxiliary had disintegrated in the explosion of umber in a heroic effort to save the continuous realms from a second perpetuum. As the source of its instincts, intellect, and loyalty to the realms, Ceres Prime had been rewarded in its stead, a legend, a lie. By all accounts, the return of his auxiliary after so many thousands of years should have shattered Ceres's mind and body, and transformed the bulk of his home planet into pure energy. But this time, the universe took no payment. It only watched. His tears were not enough to stave off the deafening screams that heralded Umber's destruction. His rage was not enough to absolve himself of the atrocity that he had been a part of, to lift the burden of knowing that he had been the unwitting instrument of the Council's wrath. Now only he remained to remember. Even the release of death would be poor recompense for the wonders he had seen and destroyed on that peaceful tranquil world. A thousand lifetimes ago, Tem promised Ceres that if there was a war to be fought, the Umberites would win. He was right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.